Welcome back, everyone, to the AM Take Podcast. I'm Marv. And I'm Amy. And we're two peas in a pod. Cast. <laughs> you like my joke? <laughs> that was pretty good. Join us as we explore a variety of topics every week. And this week, we'll be sharing our experience growing up from school life to culture clash. Culture clash. How exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. So for this week, we got our first mail from Chris. He sent an email in with a few questions uh, about the show as well as some suggestions for topics. And we took that into consideration. And that's where we're going with this week. Mm-hmm. Chris wrote to us and he said, great job so far. How were your experiences growing up as Asian Americans slash Canadians in the places you both lived throughout your lives? And what do you see in store for future generations of Asian Americans slash Canadians? Is Asian culture blending into American Canadian culture or do you think it's being erased? How do you feel about interracial dating or dating outside your ethnicity? And how accepted is it within your communities? Do you feel that it's important for people to keep up with their traditional and cultural practices, or is it more important to review them and create more modern forms of these practices? For example, in the Hmong community, it was very accepted for a man to take multiple wives, even in this day and age. Some people still practice this. Seeing as you're both Asian, it'd be nice to hear the AM take. Thanks, Chris, for writing in to us. And those are some really good questions. So we're going to try and attempt to address those mm-hmm. from our perspectives, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so there's many, many different perspectives, but this is going to be our take on it as well, yep. obviously. And in general, our, the topic today will definitely overlap with a lot of those questions and points that Chris brought up. Mm. And so our first point is going to be how was life growing up as an Asian American or as an Asian Canadian? And what do you predict for the future generation? Mm. So my experience growing up in school life Mm -hmm. is kind of unfortunate, especially when I was in elementary school, because I did deal with some bullying and some form of racism. And it got better in high school Mm -hmm. because I was focusing on my studies and I had a tight friend group, but I was still the only Asian in school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, because, well, I was born in the, in the city, but then we moved to somewhere more, I was going to say remote, but the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so in the suburbs, there weren't that many multi-ethnicity I see. type of environment. So, but it's, it still got better, you know, like I didn't, I didn't get bullied anymore uh, by classmates or whatnot. And also, it was the age of the internet. That's when I started to really dive into the internet just to, as a form of escape. Um, and then in college, I was surprised that there was a whole Asian town or whatnot. Lots of Chinese people. Mm, okay. Every day, I would go to the cafeteria and there was like this Chinatown. <laughs> did, you, did you feel more... in? inclusive did you feel it was more inclusive or did you still feel like you were an outsider i guess coming from like a suburban area oh no no i felt i felt like it was way more inclusive i started having uh, i was part of like this asian group of friends Mm -hmm. and we formed really tight bonds Uh, that was not available to me prior to that oh wow but no yeah like it's it's nice it's nice as i grew older as an adult guy could associate with more more asians mm-hmm. and it was nice to to have friends that share my culture you know they'll get me oh yeah but uh aside for that not gonna lie that bullying when i was younger uh you know it's done some uh emotional damage 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 <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know you know how it is yeah. the adult mental health is shaped by what's happened in childhood mm-hmm. and it did affect me it still does in some way but throughout my adulthood i heal from it you know like you have to learn how to deal with it so you move forward and 
Isn't that the Asian mentality? Deal with it, <laughs> right? It is, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah. um, suck it up and move on, right? Yeah. But uh, tr- truth be told, though, I've had these thoughts of kind of worrying for the future of my children mm-hmm. potentially because Joe is not Chinese. Joe is mm-hmm. uh, is born here, born and raised here, so he's he's white and. Well, if we ever have kids together, they'll be mixed, right? Mm -hmm. So I did think about, hey, if I went through bullying like that, will my children also go through the same thing? Maybe I'm being paranoid uh, because maybe the future is not, it's not like the past. It's more accepted now and all that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a little part of me that still fears that. Yeah, I think, I mean, with bullying, I think just in general, growing up as kids, going to be dealing with bullies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter, I think. Mm -hmm. It just, your circumstance, obviously, if you're the only Asian person in a school full of non-Asians, then, of course, you're the outsider, you're the different one, so it's easy to pick on you. And like you said, nowadays, yeah. Yeah, I had kids just running after me and then constantly asking me questions about China. Like, hey, what's your name? My name is Amy. No, what's your real name? The hell? <laughs> so, Go away. And I would I would run away. I would run away, but they would chase me down. They would like not leave me in peace. So was this like did they address you in, in English or was it in French or no in French. They... In French. Oh, it's in French. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It would be questions like microaggressions. Um, mm-hmm. Is it true that China invented paper? Is it true that XYZ? Is it true? Like, I don't know. Just <laughs> get away. <laughs> yeah, kids. Uh, of course, there's... Yeah, kids. Yeah. Kids are kids. There's... um, uh, That's just a light form of harassment, though. Like, Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into... <laughs> The shit that I went through. But anyway, how was your experience growing up? How was your school life? Well, it was um, completely opposite, I'd say. So I grew up in, it's almost in a city, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. And um, for, up until, actually up until high school, yeah. I had a very core group of friends that I solidified probably around the third grade it was a very diverse mix of group very diverse group of people um you know different varying cultures varying backgrounds it wasn't just asian it was asian hispanic white portuguese black as well too and Mm. so it was it was very fun i guess you could say as a kid because you know you you had so many different perspectives and you had the same types of culture or types of uh, upbringing with but then you had others that you were able to uh, identify with as relate well too to. yeah yeah relate to as immigrant kids things on that level mm-hmm. and it wasn't until um so this is in the northeast united states so very <laughs> diverse multicultural mm. and it wasn't until after ninth grade when we decided to move to the southern states mm-hmm. and that was my introduction to racism and mm. to um not really bullying because I, you know in high school I really kept to myself yeah I tried to keep a low profile and another issue with that was when we first moved we didn't really settle on an area where we wanted to live or my parents where they wanted for us to live and so mm-hmm. um, I went to two different high schools one high school for a sophomore and then another high school for my uh, junior and senior year mm-hmm. and they were very drastically different you know one was school was closer to what I was used to but very different at the same time mm-hmm. I guess different school cultures football was a very big topic okay. and a big thing I never really gave it much thought mm-hmm. for me um, and so that was kind of the big thing and I it was hard for me to get used to that and on top of that obviously having made friends that you knew since third grade up until ninth grade and all of a sudden having to make new friends in the middle of high school where mm. everyone already has their clique, everyone yeah, already has tough. their friends that they, yeah, they've been going to school with for X number of years. Yeah. So that was hard just breaking in, you know. I did get in with a group of Asian people. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. You know, we had this thing going. And then obviously that was only for one year. Mm-hmm. And 
then I switched to a different school. And this is out in the suburbs. Actually, it's probably further than the suburbs. It was the rural area. Okay. And um, basically, for someone who grew up in the city and being close to poverty and things like that, mm-hmm. it was so different going to this school because it was predominantly white, yeah. upper middle class, or even lower rich neighborhoods and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was such a departure from what I knew. I felt so out of place right. because it was me and probably my brother and then two other Korean kids and that was it for the Entire the Asian people I knew that yeah yeah and then in the high school and mm-hmm. the good thing though is I didn't really see any bullying but at the same time it was hard to approach people okay because they didn't think I knew how to speak English and <sighs> at the same time okay. it was um you still felt like outsider, even though you weren't bullied. So yeah. I guess it was just another form of exclusion, it yeah. felt like, because I didn't dress the same way. I yeah. didn't like the same things, so things like that. So that was um, yeah. that was I, shocking. It, I feel like yeah. also there's a factor of it doesn't matter what nationality you are. The fact that you're a transfer student, there's always going to be that initial exclusion whether it be temporary or permanent, that's uh, that's another issue. Uh, well, not, not not another issue, but that's another thing. But yeah. Oh, yeah. On top of everything else. Yeah, for sure. Because these people knew each other going to class and then mm-hmm. going to class for the first time on the first day and people already know each other. And I'm sitting there like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm the one who doesn't know anyone. So I'm taking steps to introduce myself and yeah. it falls flat because uh-huh. there's no reason for them to be friends with you when they have their friends so that was it that really affected was, me yeah yeah mm-hmm. was it a challenge for you to introduce yourself to other people oh yeah definitely growing up in the north northern parts of this united states and then moving to the southern part it was just hard understanding people on top of that uh, the dialect oh, and, is it because yeah, of the accent yeah the accent was so strong and you have to remember this is out in the outskirts not even close to a city oh. and so oh um, yeah yeah and so that true. was seeing people come to school in full camo was like weird to me you know uh, i get it now obviously Did that affect but your grade by the way no uh, because that's that's the only thing i was able to focus on was my my schoolwork obviously okay. i was in the honors class but at the same time growing up in high school and watching tv shows and you see characters experience in high school drastically different from yours you know and it kind of like oh am i the screwed up one am i doing something wrong you know yeah or is it my school that's not like this so it was it was interesting um reflecting back on it yeah but the media always paints a perfect picture oh yeah but at the same time (laughs) i see it happening in front of me yeah Uh, groups of friends hanging out and like i'm not i don't have any friends Mm. Uh, ultimately it did pass i did make a few friends that were into gaming and so i really didn't hang out in the lunchroom i usually went to the library and made a few friends and obviously got into counter-strike and Mm -hmm. quake and doom and played video games in the library and that's who i ultimately ended up with keep in touch with them no actually oh no i lost contact with most of them we all went to different colleges afterwards and they all knew each other already okay. and I was just in that friend group and for me it was more acquaintances than anything else because at the same time I was working as well too and I was borrowing my mom's car to go to work and so mm-hmm. I never had time to hang out after class or anything like that and so I wasn't able to really solidify that social fabric with them okay and so that's that's maybe where the disconnect fell off on that but in regards to the future generations i feel like nowadays it is definitely more accepting you know nobody wants to be the outsider nobody wants to be that kid Mm -hmm. and i think because a lot of people have been there or realize that they've been that person at one point Mm -hmm. they're much more open to helping somebody not become that person and i've seen that happen you know as i get older you you wonder you're like man if if only i you know had someone like that or anything Mm -hmm. like that so just one person can make such a huge difference in the lives of uh, the life and the future of somebody Mm -hmm. who may be feeling like an outcast or something like that so Mm -hmm. but yeah when you talk about the emotional damage yeah i definitely see that because 
that made me like clam up for a long time. Yeah. I was very, and I thought I was very introverted because I was never, I was never participating in class. Oh. I was very quiet. Yeah, and I I just never opened up to anybody. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until college that it was completely different mm -hmm. because I was. Nobody knew each other. That's it. You were free to become whoever you wanted to be. Yeah. And it didn't have any drama that yeah. you had in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Like every class, it would be a different people yeah. in there. Yeah, it was different people. It's no people. longer the same class. Yeah, and it was, it was much more diverse because you didn't just have people from yeah. your immediate city. You had people from out of state. You had people from other countries. Yeah, that's it. They may look like mm -hmm. you, but they may be different drastically because yeah. it's much more diverse yeah it's significantly more diverse and i really clinged on to that yeah. so that's where i really blossomed was in college because that essentially opened the doors for me to just become who i wanted to be yeah. as opposed to being afraid of what other people thought of me or yeah. you know trying to mold myself grow to my child exactly essentially <laughs> and i attribute that to going to college because it wasn't for me college was much more than just a way for me to find my future career or job or anything like that it was mm -hmm. it definitely helped me grow on a social aspect as well too yeah um so speaking of diversity so it kind of falls into the next topic of is asian culture blending or fading and is it important to keep up with traditions and practices and it's kind of related because of the whole diversity thing do you think that your original culture is disappearing essentially yeah um it's for me personally it's de definitely based on perspective okay. with any sort of mixing of cultures of course there's going to be pluses and minus mm -hmm. you're gonna have traditions that you pass on you have traditions that you forget that you may not remember um especially i'm Hmong myself like mm -hmm. chris and so i definitely see it mm -hmm. a lot of the history of the Hmong culture is oral history and so there's nothing written down or anything like that yeah. until very recently in modern age and so um, a lot of the culture aspects or the traditional aspects you get from your parents telling you and they mm -hmm. got from their parents telling them and it's really up to what you want to take and what you can know for sure because yeah. i don't know is it better to just try and pretend like you know something that's uh, a tradition and pass that on as if it is or is it better to just know of it and mm -hmm. not try to i guess for lack of a better word bastardize it yeah. because if you don't know the full history of it is it right for you to try and fill in the gaps for it because then it's not really the culture anymore. It's you putting your own spin on it. <laughs> You're going radical. <laughs> yeah. When Chris is asking about a modern take on it, that's interesting. Because I don't know. Like, do you take the conservative approach where you you think, oh, better to leave it alone than mm -hmm. to change it? Because then it's not the original culture anymore. Mm. But at the same time, a, a more liberal approach is be like, well, we don't know what our parents changed yeah. and what their parents changed. Who's to say that it's going to stay the same? Because just like language, yeah. language is always changing. So culture must change at the same time, yeah. right? Because you take what you know from the current age and you add a little bit mm -hmm. of the past to it and you, you move forward. So it's an interesting dance between those two, I think, mm -hmm. in my personal opinion, mm -hmm. you know. But who's to say what's right and what's wrong? I think as long as you are able to take a step back and realize what is at stake here, mm -hmm. then you can make the right decision based on who you are. Yeah. Because sure, if you can't speak the language and you you try, sure, you can understand it, sure. It's the best thing is that you try, yeah, you know. Yeah. You may not succeed, but you we work with what we have, mm -hmm. I think. And for the Canadian listeners, well, <laughs> we don't have a huge population of Hmong people here in Canada. Mm. And I wanted to ask you about your culture, actually, yeah. so, so that we kind of learn more. <laughs> we got to learn more about your culture. And so from what I understand, you guys don't have your own country. Yeah, we, we don't. We Because of mm. in the history of Hmong people, uh, you guys have been oppressed for a while. Mm -hmm. And... 
you guys are a little bit everywhere, like Laos, Vietnam, uh, some in China. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Southern Thailand, Southeast maybe? Asia. Yeah, definitely Thailand, okay. Southern China, Vietnam, mm -hmm. you know, Laos as well. And so definitely, yeah, around that area. What about your culture do you have fond memories of? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. Like the f oh, like, goodness. is it um, food? Um, is there a special dish that oh, you, okay. you absolutely love? Is it the? I've seen some pictures of Hmong people and the women in the traditional clothing, and uh -huh. they're very very colorful. So that I find that pretty. Um, is there a specific folk dance that you guys do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew, but. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a traditional folk dance or anything like that per okay. se, but I know that there is sort of a there's a, a yearly gathering. I guess you can call it for us. It's called New Year's basically, okay. and so it's a celebration of like. Does it also um, follow the lunar calendar? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh. It's usually based on the uh, times of the years that it occurs in. Roughly, it follows more the harvest area. Uh, the harvest oh. era. Or the harvest moon era, I guess the um, the fall solstice. It's usually between October and, and November, and that coincides with when it's harvest time, especially in oh. farming cultures such as. Mong. Shoot, do you know this year's New Year when it's it gonna be? It really depends on the area, because oh, I mean, it's different um, every. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's different, but it's all around the same time frame because. Sometimes a lot of uh, Hmong communities do it during Thanksgiving-ish okay. time because that's obviously people are off from work, so they have time to be able to celebrate together. Ah. Some do it during Columbus Day because Columbus Day is a you know national holiday mm -hmm. in the States, and so you get an extra day off. It's usually Monday, okay. so you can do Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And, and it goes as far as into December as well, too. So that's from... My very limited knowledge of knowing about okay. different um, locations. And, and what do you do during this holiday? Well, it's uh, like you brought up food, right? Food? Yeah. It's it's a lot of like food stalls and food vendors that sell a lot of traditional Hmong food. Okay. Like uh, Hmong sausage, uh, sticky rice, papaya salad. It's a staple of Southeast Asian cuisine, but okay. it has a different spin on it. So it's very similar to Laotian cuisine, but okay. it's not at the same time too. So oh. that's one aspect of it. I think traditionally, now I may be wrong, and if you guys know the right answer, feel free to correct me. I'm totally fine with that. But traditionally, I think New Year's was a gathering time of, mm -hmm. you know, you have the, the guys and you have the women and they dress up and they, uh, it's a time to it's potentially a find a... making thing? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's <laughs> like that, basically. Oh, and so that's wow. why they dress up the way they do. Okay. And what they do is they, we call it ball tossing. You know, you basically find a... Um, someone that interests you and you ask them if they want to go ball tossing you you just uh toss the ball back and forth and oh. maybe ask them a few questions about themselves okay you know so um yeah that's interesting but uh i never participated in that because it was it was so out of my <laughs> comfort zone i guess you could say <laughs> but um talking to my parents about it it's it's incredibly interesting and you know, reflecting, watching uh, documentaries on it, mm. it, it's very interesting how it was done because a lot of people look forward to that time of year. Mm -hmm. That's when they put on their best face, they put on their best clothing. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, it is, it is a farming culture and so you want to be able to build a family, I guess. Yeah, it's important because that's uh, your so future, you have, your potential yeah, future. Yeah. Okay. Correct. You know, and so, but yeah, growing up, it was... For that reason too, you know, you would go there in hopes of finding somebody today or anything like that. So that was definitely a big thing I know for sure mm -hmm. growing up. But obviously my high school years, I was in not such a great place in my life. So it mm -hmm. wasn't like, I wasn't really interested in that stuff. I was just interested in surviving the next day at school, mm -hmm. you know, and finding, getting my way out, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, yeah, that's, that's my opinion. That's and in regards to like certain things of the Hmong culture that... I hold dear mm -hmm. to my heart. I, I'd say the language. Okay. There's a lot of sayings and proverbs and things of that nature that when my mom would tell me. And yeah. if you translate like literally, it makes no sense yeah. like in English. But it's so descriptive and it's so... Um, poetic. Almost poetic. And yeah. Yeah. And in Hmong, if you know the Hmong language, like yeah. 
<laughs> one particular one that she always brings up is um, if you if you have jaundice or if you are sick or something like that, then uh-huh. in Hmong they say that you have uh, your danjena, um, which means it literally means yellow air. Uh-huh. But you know, if you're translating for a Hmong person, you say, "Oh, this he says he has yellow air," because you know no one will understand what you're saying. Uh-huh. It just means you're sick or you're um, you're gone or you're you know yeah. you're not eating enough or something like that. So. And it's just certain things like that. And there's multiple ones that my mom would teach me and she would laugh because like she would ask me what it means. And I'm like, I don't know, mom. Like, I would give her the, the straight translation of it mm-hmm. and she would just break out laughing. She would like try to explain the, <laughs> well, she the let her actual have her meaning fun. behind it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's always so interesting, you know. Yeah. And at one point I did write it all down, like all the ones that she told me. But yeah. I have to go back and find that. But. I'd say for me personally, the language would be the number one thing that I would strive to preserve. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know? have the chance to constantly practice it and not lose it? Oh, no. No. Now, especially where I am. Do you feel like you've lost? Oh, us? definitely. I've never been 100% fluent. Okay. Because Hmong is it's a pretty complex language. It's mm-hmm. another tonal language, so very similar to Chinese as well, too. Mm-hmm. And just the way you inflect certain words or certain sounds at the end of a word can change its meaning. Mm-hmm. And so um, with that said, I didn't have a full grasp of the vocabulary because in Hmong, they borrow a lot of words from Thai and from mm-hmm. Laotian. And so there's a lot of sayings and things of that nature. And growing up, I didn't have a, a, a traditional education in Hmong. Mm. The only sort of language class I took was in the church. And they had a very basic uh, intermediate Hmong class where mm-hmm. someone who spoke Hmong very well and who knew English too would teach us how to read and write in Hmong. And you only got so far because it was once a week. Yeah. It was on a Sunday after Sunday school. Mm-hmm. But I really took to it as well, too. And I don't have a great grasp of it, but I have enough to be able to talk to an older person or okay. to be able to take my time in mm. uh, reading it as well, too. My sister, she's really good at it. She's, I mean, she's good to the point where my parents would ask her to write out words really? or write Ooh. in Hmong for them. Yeah, nice. yeah. But a as far as practicing, yeah, she really is a reference. Because sometimes I would write something, I'm like, I'd be so proud of myself, and I'd message her, and I'd be like, "Hey," and I'll write it out, and she'd be like, "Oh, you spelled this wrong," <laughs> and I'll be like, "Oh crap," and I'll I'll sign it out of my head. I'm like, "Wow, I I completely messed that up," and so she uh, ran on your parade. Exactly, you know, and all she has to do is say, "Oh, you used the wrong consonant." I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks," and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> But uh, yeah, in regards to practicing, oh man, I really don't have a chance to practice it out here. I'm not in Texas, definitely. Okay. Well, in Austin, Texas, anyway. And so, I see. Um, you know, except for when I call my mom, I try to speak Hmong. Yeah. But obviously, it's there's certain concepts and thoughts that are very hard to put into words in Hmong. Mm. But I know for a fact that Hmong is a very poetic language mm-hmm. just from my limited knowledge of, you know and i studied linguistics in college so that's one thing i take from mm-hmm. Hmong is that it, it is definitely a very poetic language yeah yeah so cool. yeah that was me how about you <laughs> me uh as in yeah the culture have grown up in canada how how was your right right yeah. okay yeah so is it blending or fading yeah Uh, i feel like i'm in a different position where well the chinese community we're quite Mm -hmm. a big culture definitely oh for sure (laughs) population of chinese people is how many how many dumping Uh, uh, restaurants did we see amy (laughs) 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 Uh, so i don't think that our culture is anywhere near um I was going to say extinction. Thanks a lot. <laughs> We're on the verge of extinction, guys. We got we to bounce it. back. I don't mean it. Back. This is the year of I the I don't mean culture. it in a bad way. But, uh, I totally get it. it. I mean, you're not, not wrong. You know? It's not, um, it, it's not, definitely not endangered. So I might have a different perspective because of that. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, to sum it up, it's not, a black and white answer mm-hmm. because I feel like, yeah, is it blending? Yes. Is it fading? Also, yes. Because every time that you, like you said earlier, you take something traditional and 
you mix it with something new, it's no longer the original thing anymore, yeah. right? So it's kind of like a recipe that's been passed down so many generations, but then you like you tweak it here and there because I don't know, it's too salty or it's too sweet. You reduce <laughs> the sugar or something like that. So that okay. you you <laughs> you um you tweak it to your liking. Mm -hmm. but it is no longer the original thing anymore is it bad though not necessarily yeah. yeah i don't think it's bad so very interesting a good representation of this situation would be it's featured in the marvel movie shang chi and the seven rings i've never seen, you've it. seen it no oh. don't ruin it i don't care i'm just kidding well it's a good movie go watch it does it have monk people in it <laughs> but anyways there's a scene in which the older chinese generation mm -hmm. people from the older generation oh okay i know I, I know where you're going with this yeah, yeah they're nagging at yeah, the younger the younger kids and then they're saying how oh, you don't even know how to talk anymore or how to speak you're losing the language you're losing the culture and so look listen it's a valid concern <laughs> that our elders have it is valid because <laughs> because it's true culture for them and for Everybody is part of our identity, right? And unfortunately, this part of our identity, you depend on the others as well, mm -hmm. uh, on the others' participation. Because you can't keep a culture alive on your own. Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. So that part of your identity, to know that it's solely dependent on the others, not just yourself, it's kind of scary because you don't have control of it. Yeah, true. But like, you're not the only one who's going through this issue at the same time. Oh, no. Like, it's, there's yeah, it's loads collective. of other... Yeah, it's collective as, as part <laughs> yeah. of a generation too, I think. Yeah, exactly. So this leads to my next point, which is basically, should we keep cultural um, practices, basically? Mm -hmm. um, I say keep up with the cultural practices if you identify with said culture. Mm-hmm. Because you'll naturally be doing it anyway. Yeah. The contrast to this is some people do reject their culture that they were born in because mm. they've had bad experiences. Oh, yeah. Um, Rightfully so, too. Or traumatizing experiences. And it is because of the culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it would be beneficial to force others to adhere by a cultural practice if they don't want to. Agreed. Um, they won't be happy about it. Yeah. So I can think of, for example, somewhere in rural India, this 14-year-old girl is forced to be in an arranged marriage mm -hmm. with this 60-year-old man. But it's culture, yeah. Yeah, she's not going to be happy about it, but it's in her culture. Yeah. If she had a choice, I think she would abandon that practice. Mm -hmm. mm, so um, basically to go back to people who fear that their culture is disappearing and their concern, they shouldn't force others to stay in that community if they're not willing to. Because, because if you're part of a certain group or a certain community, you'd want members to be willing to participate, to be part. Yeah, of their own volition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want not it be to be forced. Yeah. And so... A healthy way to preserve a culture, in my opinion, is to introduce that to the next generation in the form of fond memories, which is why I asked you earlier mm -hmm. about if you have any fond memories about the Hmong culture. Because if we associate fond memories with the culture, of course, we're going to want to introduce it to the next generation because it was fun for us. Mm -hmm. It was nice. Yeah. Good memory. Um, yeah. So in my case... Yeah, I am fond of like the Chinese New Year, we feast, or the, uh, I remember when I was a kid, there was the um, mid-autumn festival, I think. Oh. And then like you would walk outside in the streets with lanterns. Oh, nice. <laughs> they would be pretty lanterns. Um, the city bandit because caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many lanterns wow. caught fire. <laughs> too beautiful. Wow. <laughs> 
because they were paper lanterns, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. And you'd have a candle in it. But then us kids, we don't know how to um, be careful. Really... <laughs> yeah. So then they banned it. And now I think if you want to celebrate it, it would be that they have fake LEDs, right? What? Candle. Oh, okay. <laughs> with, in, with the battery. Oh, okay. The fake candle. Okay. That's fun. And it's not as fun. You know, it's like a. It's a thought a, that counts. I mean, yeah. it's different. I mean, that. I mean, you could say that's a modern uh, interpretation of the paper lanterns. A safer yeah. alternative for sure. Yeah, the true. And it, it's not like the future generation will know of of the difference anyway. They're born with <laughs> they're born with um the safer option. Oh yeah. And that reminds me so during Mong New Year, on top of like the traditional garments that they wear, the dresses and things that they wear, traditionally you wear these huge, heavy silver, I guess necklaces but yeah but they're like these massive necklaces and they're so heavy and you know now they don't make them out of like pure silver Mm -hmm. you know sometimes they're plastic or things like that just because they're so massive and expensive on top of that too and so that's one of the things i remember seeing because i remember going to new and seeing people wear these fake ones Mm -hmm. i'm like why are they wearing these fake traditional necklaces when all I knew was my mom's yeah. ones that she had that was passed down that were like pure silver and things like that and very incredibly heavy. Yeah. And seeing all these, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's more accessible than it was. That's before. true. That's true. They're practicing smarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to be walking around with like 25 pound necklace around your neck. You know? That that kind of reminds me of Chinese brides where they have like so many gold jewelry. Oh gosh! It would be like usually like twenty four karat too, and so it would be heavy on them. And I think India as well. When they mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they go through the Indian wedding, they have a lot of gold jewelries. My goodness, but but yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's a nice symbolic gesture. But man, imagine having to wear it all. Heavy. Luckily, it's only for one night, though. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, but aside from that, I remember fondly of uh, making dumplings, for example, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a lot of hard work. And so when you make dumplings, you make it in a big batch. And then you call everybody up, you know. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe not everybody that you know. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, friends and family, a couple. And then they sit down and then we all make dumplings together. And we just uh, chit-chat for a couple hours while we make the dumplings, right? So it's it's a way to catch up. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's my take on the Asian culture blending. And so let's move on to the next topic, which is what are your thoughts on interracial dating? Yeah. Interracial dating. Interesting. Um, yeah, Chris brought this up in his letter. You know, this, I guess, goes along with the whole cultural blending aspect of, mm-hmm. of traditions and practices and things like that. Ultimately, my opinion is that it's not really an issue. I think sometimes we we end up with people, we can't really choose who you end up with. And so if you're specifically looking to preserve a culture so that you mm-hmm. will only date somebody who's part of that culture, I mean, good luck and mm-hmm. wish you your best. But I think it's better to go in with just being who you are. And it's ultimately up to you and your partner whether or not you decide together uh, what parts of a culture you want to take because it's not just going to be your culture it's going to be theirs unless obviously there's somebody from the same culture but even then they might have different traditions and practices that your family was not brought up on Um, and so there's always going to be a give and take approach to it Mm -hmm. because ultimately it's a two-way street you know Um, you can't just tell somebody like you said earlier like oh we're gonna preserve this we're gonna only teach our kids this we're gonna celebrate only this because you are starting your own chapter in your life with somebody else and they're starting their own Mm -hmm. their own chapter away from what they knew and what they grew up on and the ideal situation would be both of you guys developing or keeping or adding on to traditions and cultures that you both share and whether or not you are from the same culture or background i think it really doesn't matter because even if you're from the same background or same race you still have differences Mm -hmm. in culture and even in Hmong, there's differences in language as well too in accents Mm -hmm. as well so you can't really say that it's 
I just don't think it's a bad thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those in the older generations, especially in a, like you said, Amy, a, an extinct culture like Hmong, they might want to um, try to keep it preserved. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, after talking to my parents and old, some older generation folks, they want what they think is best, but they know mm-hmm. that it will be ultimately up to you to decide. Mm-hmm. But that's really all they can do because they can't force us to do it. So what will they do? The only thing they can do is tell us Mm -hmm. as nagging as it may be as constantly telling you every time you see them all the time ultimately it's still going to be up to you as long as you understand that it's just what they will say and Mm -hmm. you don't take it to heart some people might see that as toxic i totally get it i totally get it but um again that's yeah because i mean if they are disregarding your boundaries and they constantly even though they know how you will react and know your thoughts on it, yeah. they will constantly tell you regardless. And then their reasoning for that is that they can't do anything else except tell yeah. you because that's all they can do. And whether or not you choose to do it, it's up to you, but they're going to still keep doing it because that's just, quote unquote, who they are. Yeah. And I think a modern perspective of that is that that's kind of a toxic behavior, but uh, it's a hard line to draw because... Yeah, I feel like it becomes toxic the moment they force that person. Yeah, yeah. I honestly feel like they can certainly present their culture or uh, show you or guide you in their own ways. They can't really force you, though. Oh, of course. Um, it's ultimately up to you to decide what you want to do. And you have to remember that. I yeah. think some people fall into the trap of where they're like, oh, I have to do this. I have to. I mean, you don't have to. Uh-huh. You don't. You may think you do, but yeah. you don't have to. I mean, but obviously, it's never black and white. You have those times where they really do force you yeah obviously of course at that point there needs to be intervention of some kind basically unfortunately Uh but yeah um and then ultimately the last thing to add for me to interracial dating is it's ultimately going to come down to respect that's really it Mm -hmm. whether or not it's uh, two different races or two same races it's going to be out of respect Mm -hmm. how you approach this relationship together and how you move forward is take what you can and they take what they can and you make something out new from that basically yeah yeah kind of reminds me of that joke from russell peters at some point he was saying (laughs) that's the way he was saying how like the future is inevitable yeah you're going to have little mixed babies (laughs) everywhere yeah like there's no stopping it there's just gonna be a mixture of even tone people like we're all gonna have the same skin tone at some point further down the line yeah and it would be a shame (laughs) if we didn't have that I I personally am for it because it just makes the world go round, in my opinion. Like you have so many different people from different backgrounds all mixing, and it yeah. just the closest thing we have to a unified version of humanity, in my opinion. Yeah, there's more acceptance. There's yeah. less division, right? There's diversity. Mm-hmm. There's less division. Uh, that's how you end racism, according to Russell Peters. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i would agree with uh, your opinion basically i'm i'm all for it as well i'm in an interracial Mm. relationship um i remember my mom preferring that i date chinese guys Mm -hmm. because you know gotta keep the culture going gotta keep the language alive yep but you know at the end of the day that's her preference that's her opinion yeah and i understand it but I make my own decisions. And eventually, she sees him as her own son. But I know that not every immigrant parent is like that. Oh, Some yeah. people do get disowned for being in an interracial relationship, especially if you have a very, very, very strict parents, strict culture. And it's such a shame Truly. because like you said before, right? Like, like you said earlier, uh, I was going somewhere with this, <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned, you mentioned something earlier about how, um, people, oh, people may think they don't have a choice, but they do, mm-hmm. but it's just that they've been conditioned for such a long time yeah. Yeah. to think that they don't have a choice, for Sure. but I've always viewed well, if your life was a book, right, the book of life, then you should be the only author to have access writing that book. Yeah. 
right? Like your parents can guide you and you know, give you advice and all of that. But ultimately, you should be able to take control of your own life. Oh, yeah. They can help brainstorm. They can help give you advice and guidelines. But you're the one writing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's ultimately up to you how you want to guide the book and your story. I've heard a lot of people saying things like, but then I'll be shunned from my community, but then I'll be disowned or I'll be isolated. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, if you are because you want to do what you want to do, then is it worth being in such a community anyway? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Is it worth staying in such a community? It's tough. I, I can I can see that because mm-hmm. like... Especially if, say, for example, you're from a more affluent family. Mm-hmm. And if you get disowned, then say for the longest time, your parents took care of your schooling, mm-hmm. your allowance and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, take that away. It, it isn't just the fact that they're shunning you. It's that they're pushing you to a way of life that you're not used to in the snap of a finger. You know, it's not just that you lose your culture or what you're used to. It's you are now starting at the very bottom mm-hmm. of what you know, which yeah, if if I'm somebody who's not from that, I I would just see, well, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take charge in, of your life. But yeah. that's, if you're putting yourself in that person's shoes, no matter how rich they were or not, how much their parents took care of them, and for them to have that taken away from them, yeah. you can't help but feel for them because it's not that they chose to, to grow up that way. It's just that that's what they did with their parents. And then now all of a sudden, the parents take that away from them a part of me is empathetic towards that because well, yeah. they chose to stand up for themselves and yet this is what happened. I got two things so, to say yeah. in regards to that. Yeah. First thing is if that person is under 18, that is child abuse. <laughs> that is child abuse. Oh, yeah. And if that person is over 18, then that means that your parents set you up to be financially dependent on them so you don't have that financial independency So they ensure that you don't disobey them. That is a very controlling way to parent. But do you think they understand that though? They don't. I mean, knowing knowing our culture, I guess, the Asian culture, I don't think like that's their intent. Yeah, that's... But obviously they've weaponized that ultimately. Yeah. So to answer your question, they don't know. Yeah. Because they grew up like that too. Yeah, exactly. So they don't know any better. But to that, I will say somewhere down along the lines, that cycle has to be broken. It has to. Yeah, true. It starts with us today. Just kidding. <laughs> That's it, guys. Break the cycle. <laughs> I mean, you would think, but, you know, I feel like it's roughly 50-50. I think because it's tough because, you know, there's certain things that work, but then, you know, it can't work moving forward. Like corporal punishment. Uh-huh. I thought it works, but obviously people see it as child abuse. But I think for me, there's definitely a fine line there because I knew that my parents punished me when they whipped me or whatever. It was really because I did something wrong Uh and I knew I did something wrong. Yeah. But I know for a fact that there are those who are truly abusive who will hit you for every little thing. And so that's where it's hard for me to just say, oh, yeah, I'm all for corporate punishment. But that's it's weird because that's the best case scenario yeah and there are very many that are not best case scenarios so so i I totally get that i'm not sure how i feel about that yeah it's a a tough question i i grew up with that too and for me in my case my mom whooped me mainly because well sure i might i may have done something wrong but it's mainly because she wasn't well equipped Mm. mentally Mm. to know how to manage her own emotions i see right and so the only way to her own way of managing her emotions was to take it out on her kids oh wow okay which uh, that yeah, i don't agree definitely, with yeah that's definitely different yeah mm-hmm. because i know when i believe i was 17 my dad sat me down mm-hmm. and he told me that from this point on he's not gonna yell at us or hit us anymore and okay from that point on, it was even scarier when my parents were disappointed in me for something I did. And I would emotional damage. Yeah, I would I would <laughs> want so much for them to go back to yelling and hitting me because knowing that I disappointed them and they have nothing else more to say uh-huh. was way worse than 
being a brat and talking back and cussing my parents and having them whip me That's or whatever. So but, interesting because yeah. me is the exact yeah. opposite. I would <laughs> rather her being disappointed at me or something like that because that worked better for me. Oh, and then I never do it again. Uh, whenever she was about to whoop me, total fear. Uh, I would start bawling my eyes out, and oh, then goodness. she would like yell at me too. Be on the floor, like get in position, <laughs> right? <laughs> but Whoa. but you know, if you try to run for it, like prison break, oh, yeah. No, oh, don't no. do it. Don't ever no. do it. It's it's just, it's yeah. You just take it. <laughs> take the L, man. That's yeah. it. Take the L. Move on. Cry, <laughs> cry your heart out. Yo, you're gonna be whooped twice as hard, exactly. twice as long. So don't do it. Yeah. Um, I have the opposite opinion in in that regards. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh well that that's what makes it fun right <laughs> what um, <laughs> I, I, meant, guess I, meant, so. <laughs> I guess so i guess that's what makes it fun having different opinions <laughs> trying to figure out what no. to say to so your parents don't hit no, you wait. jesus <laughs> it wasn't me it was my brother you're twisting my words <laughs> <laughs> i meant i meant it's fun having different opinions oh okay it's, <laughs> not the ass whooping. I'm not for that. Okay. Uh, anyway, so with that, it pretty much, um, I think that wraps up our yeah, yeah. discussion today. Lively. So thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you, Chris, yeah, thanks, for Chris. those very interesting questions. Um, guys, this was super fun, and we hope to hear from you with more questions, topics, suggestions, or comments by writing to us at theamtake at gmail.com. That is. T-H-E-A-M-T-A-K-E at gmail.com. All right. And so next week, our topic is going to be the trials and tribulations of living in a foreign country. Join us next week. We're going to have a special guest. It's going to be our first guest. His name is Brian, who's had the pleasure of living abroad for at least a decade. And he'll be here next week with us to talk through his journeys and his trials and tribulations of living abroad. So hope you guys will be able to join us next week. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you guys then. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye.